I think we're in a really interesting time as a church community. I don't know uh, what you think or what's going on inside a lot of your heads. I catch up with a few of you and get to pick bits and pieces out of your brains and find out where you're at and what you're thinking and so on. But I was thinking about this whole idea earlier this week with this introduction and story. And I really believe that we're in that introductory phase. I feel like God's got a story that he wants to write. And he wants to write it not only in our hearts, but he wants to use us as, as living epistles, the Bible says. He wants to use us to write this story of what he wants to achieve, of what he wants to do. Um, if you've got a Bible there, Acts chapter 6, I think, relates a little bit possibly, potentially, to where we're at right now. And I'll, I won't go too much into the story. I've just got a few points I want to share. But in Acts chapter 6, we've got a situation that the church is confronted with where they're uh, feeding uh, widows. There's a, a feeding program within the church. Now, we don't know how that started, where it started, when it started. We just know that by Acts chapter 6, there's a food distribution program going on within the life of the church. And there are uh, the, the, the Jewish... Uh, women, the Hebrew-speaking women. There are Greek-speaking uh, widows as well who uh, were probably a part of, of uh, the group of believers that were scattered. Go back to the Old Testament. Not everybody returned to Jerusalem. Many Jews were scattered abroad and they, were, uh, uh, they had names and terminologies for them, but they would have been more entrenched in Greek uh, culture and they would have understand their Jewish roots, but they were very uh, Greek uh, culturally as well. They, they spoke Greek and so on. And so all of a sudden, the, the, these people are all together and you've got the, the Jews being saved and you've got the, the, the Greek-speaking, the dispersed ones who are coming to salvation in Jerusalem as well. And you've got these two groups of widows. You've got the Hebrew widows, the, the Hebrew-speaking, then you've got the, the Greek-speaking. And there's this little bit of a, 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 I don't know if it's a racial problem or what, but there's this little um, problem going on here where... The, the Greek-speaking widows, somebody's observed that, hey, when you're distributing the food, you're giving it to all these ones first and then over here. And there appears to be, if there's not enough left over, all the Greek-speaking ones are missing out. And this is a problem. <laughs> and so in Acts chapter 6, we pick it up. It says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So here's, here's the situation. They've got a, a, a situation going on in the life of the church. Now keep in mind at this point the church is still in Jerusalem. They still haven't gone out to the uttermost parts of the world and so on. They're still in Jerusalem. But they've got a situation. There are several instances in the life of the early church in the book of Acts that we read as a story. We just read it and go, oh, that's, that's part of the book of Acts. Sometimes we don't realise the incredible implications. If they don't handle this situation well, what could happen from here? There are several instances in the life of the church that could have really stunted the movement of Christianity. And this is actually one of those situations where the disciples are there going, right, yeah, we've got this genuine need. Now we've got this body of believers together and there's a genuine need in a situation going on here. It, the need is genuine, but so is the vision of the church. So is what we're called to do. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and so on. And so they're in this situation going, well, that's a genuine need, but you know what? We've got a genuine vision and commission from Christ as well that we've got to fulfill. And here's what they do. It says, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, don't, don't feel like they're belittling the process or belittling what's going on. 
I think today it's easy for us. We get caught up on words. Oh, and it can almost feel like there's an arrogance in what they're saying. There's no arrogance in what they're saying whatsoever. Okay? They're saying that we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word of God. What they're basically saying is this. There's a situation here. There's a mission. We're heading after it. We apostles could stop doing that and take care of this and we could get caught up in doing all this. In which case, perhaps Christianity is not going to spread as rapidly. It's not going to go as far as what it is right now. Or we can find other people, because there's a lot of people here in this group right now, that can put their hand to the plough and say, hey, I can do that. I can actually be a part of that. I can, I can work within the framework of this food program, and it's something that I can bring to the table, something I can give. And in doing that, I'm playing a role in the bigger picture, because at this stage they're thinking, well, if we do this and we free these guys up to keep planting churches and preaching, whatever it is they're doing, but we're playing a role in a bigger picture. Now, we know that these guys that put their hand up, because the Bible then goes on and lists these seven people. Two of them, in specifically, we find a little bit more about later on in the story without having to go there. But two of them are a guy called Philip and a guy called Stephen. Now, the Bible goes that they appointed these people and the, the disciples, the apostles, continued to do what they were doing. And it actually says that the word of God continued to spread. In verse 7, it says, So God's message, once they'd sorted this situation out, it says, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So they came to this situation where they go, this is a valid, genuine need, but we've also got a calling to go after here and do this. How do you balance the genuine calling and vision of the church with the actual needs in the community and society in which you live? How do you balance this? Well, I found a way through it by going, you know what? We need to continue to function in our gift and there are going to be some people here that have a gift and can come to the table and help do this. Who, who wants to do that? Find those people. And so they did. They found those people and they appoint them. Philip and Stephen, they're two interesting people because we get a little bit more of an insight into their life as you read on. In the very next chapter, we read about this dude called Stephen who the Bible actually says that Stephen went about performing miracles, signs and wonders. Now this is, by the way, keep it in, this is the waiter. So at night time, Stephen's waiting on tables feeding people. During the day, or maybe during the daytime, he's waiting on tables feeding. Nighttime, the dude's out there healing the sick, casting out demons, all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. That tells me something about him. While he was functioning in that process of feeding in this food distribution program, there was something in him that went, this is a part of something way bigger. We still need to preach the gospel. We still need to make sure that what we're doing fits into this bigger picture of mission. We need to get the word of God out there. Now what happens is Stephen ends up getting martyred for his faith. Stephen gets killed because he stands up and, and gets in the face of the Jewish leaders and goes, let me give you a history lesson. And he goes right back and he gives them a history lesson right from the start and he gets to the end and he pulls no punches. He says, dude, you guys have missed it all back there. You missed it in this period of Israel. You missed it there. And guess what? You're missing it right now. And they just got ballistic and mad. And the Bible says that they covered their ears, they ran at him, they took him outside and they stoned him, they killed him. And there was a dude standing there by the name of Saul who later becomes Paul who was witnessing this whole thing. And then the Bible says a great persecution broke out in the church. And it's very specific. It says all the believers were scattered because all of a sudden, here, Stephen, this, this, this guy that's a member of the church that's using his gift in the life of the church, that's out there preaching, that's, he's, he's been killed. And all the believers go, dude, that's the start of something really bad for us. And so the Bible says they were scattered. But the Bible's very clear. It says except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't go anywhere, you know. When you think about it, Stephen's life 
in the bigger picture of the church, Stephen's life, though we hardly ever seen anything about it, his life was so incredibly significant, yet, yet we, we think about the, the apostles, the 12 disciples, and we look at what they're doing. So Stephen doesn't do a great deal, but man, what he did that day, that was the first time the church got a kick up the backside and they got outside of Jerusalem on a, on, on a large scale. But the Bible says this, it says everyone that left Jerusalem, it says they went about preaching the word of God everywhere they went. You can read about that yourself. Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets killed. Acts chapter 8, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea, Samaria. Some devout men came, they buried Stephen. Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, went house to house, dragged him out and so on. And then verse 4, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Verse 5, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria. So this is Philip who's also waiting on tables. So Philip's this guy that's in the life of the church and he's, he's part of a food distribution program. And for whatever reason, the Bible gives us a little glimpse into his life too. He wasn't, but Stephen and Philip weren't the kind of guys that went, right, I've just got to find something I can do that's for me, bang, that's me, and the food distribution program was the end of it. There was something inside their heart that understood if we're going to do this, we want to know that this is building towards that. We want to know that we're still a part of this great commission. We're a part of this vision that Jesus came when he said, Jesus Jesus made some bold statements about the church. He said, I'll build my church. He said, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church that I'm building. And then when he died, he said, I'm building a church and here's the the vision. Here's what I want. I've said it before uh, from the front here and I've said it to different individuals. The church has one vision. I don't care whether you're Baptist, uh, Pentecostal, Mainline, I don't care what you are. Uh, Jesus is the only one that has the right to give the church a vision because the church is his. He started it. And his vision is very clearly outlined to us in Matthew 28. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. We talk about vision. We have vision. Okay? The real conversation is, well, how do we fulfill that? What do we do that helps us get to that end? What can we do that takes us to that place? What can we do that helps us get there? The process is a great conversation for us to have. And I feel like God's challenging us at the moment. I feel like God's saying to me that it's time for us to start to think about the process. The vision won't change. The vision of God is, is, is non-negotiable. People, if you're in this church and you don't have a heart to go into all the world and preach the gospel, if your vision is not to see disciples made and to see the lost reached, then you're sitting in the wrong church. You're not a bad person. We're not better than you. Find another church with other visions. We are always going to exist. And everything we do and everything we look at and the, the, the processes that we put in place, and so on, we are always going to come back to this question. I just want to see how that chain links up to the Great Commission. If it links to this, then we're all over it. Let's do this. You know, let's go there. But there's a couple of significant situations in, in the book of Acts where they get to that point and they've got to make decisions and they've got to look at what they're doing and why they're doing it and so on. When they made these transitions well, the Bible says that the church prospered and blossomed. And I feel like, as I said at the start, we're in the introduction right now. I feel like God's stirring in me going, I'm about to write a story. Who's coming with me? I'm about to write a story. Chapter 1. I don't even know what the first word of chapter 1 is yet. You know? But you know what? I don't have to necessarily know what the first word of chapter 1 is. All I know is that the last chapter concludes with Jesus Christ patting us on the back and going, well done, good and faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servants. That's, that's the last chapter. That's the, what do they call it? The end of the epilogue. And they lived happily ever after in the kingdom of heaven with the greatest name above every name, King Jesus. That's a good epilogue. But from word one, chapter one to there, there's a bit of writing to be done. Amen? And I wonder how many of us are pens that God wants to use to write something wonderful and something glorious. 
How many of us want to be a part of that process? How many of us want to bring ourselves to the table and put ourselves in the hand of the master and go, right with me, paint with me, you know? It's a challenge, and I feel like God's throwing that at me at the moment, saying, you know what, we're in a pivotal point, and we need to start to think along those lines and start to think about where we're going. We know what the, mission, we know what the vision is. We know that we want to reach lost people, but the processes, how do we do it? I'm a big believer that when Jesus said, I'll build my church, that he did not want church members. I don't think Jesus wants church members. I don't think Jesus wants church attenders. I think what he wants is kingdom of God contributors. He wants people that will contribute something to the kingdom of God. Amen? Everyone's really quiet here. I'm like, ooh, what's happening? I don't think God wants members or attenders. You know, you can be a member of a church. You know, members sign up and, you know, think about churches with church membership. You know, I want to be a member. I want to be a member, and, and, and sometimes there can be this background thing in the head. The reason I want to be a member is because that gives me a little bit of control. If I'm a member, you know, I'm a member of the club, and when there's big, I can vote the pastor out, I can, you know, membership. There are other people who just want to come along and just be attenders, you know, and that's fine. For a season, some people just come and just attend. But I do think that there comes a point where attenders need to make a decision because you can't just be an attender. There comes a point in our own healing process, in our own life, where we go, okay, now I, I, I've kind of got a bit of an idea here what's going on. I really want to bring something to the table. I want to become a contributor to the kingdom of God. Yeah? Australia is a wonderful country. And we've got some great things in place to help people. You know, I mean, you go to, we were talking to a, a pastor um, friend of Pete and Cheryl's a, a few months ago, and, and he was talking about the things they're doing in the States and the, 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 the um, hospital uh, thing they'd built on their campus and what they were doing with, with people medically and all this stuff. And it's fantastic, you know? And, and it's wonderful because there's opportunity there for all that because their government doesn't do what our government does over here. You know, our government lifts up a lot of the welfare stuff. Our government looks after a lot of people probably um, more than, than what they probably get in the States. We've got systems in place government and that's a wonderful thing but on the other hand it's it's really bad because it's taking away opportunity where we can step into a gap and go you know no that's something the church of jesus christ can do we don't necessarily have that same opportunity we have opportunity but in 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 not as tangible ways i guess as what what uh, uh, some of these other places have but the opportunity uh is there for us to contribute for us to bring something to the table and do something but one of the negatives i guess about our society and we're seeing it now we're hearing this word all the time this welfare state you know, people get this real welfare mentality and it's easy for people to get into it. You know, I, I observe some of my kids, not, not my kids, but their mates and I listen to the conversations they have and I look at them and think, dude, you have so much opportunity to go and earn some money or to do, to do that. But, but, but you know, um, one of our boys was telling us about a friend of his recently who threw in his job. Why? Because he did the maths and went, well, I can get you know, 200 and something bucks a week on Centrelink and I'm getting you know, 200 and something bucks a week working. Why would I work? You know, And it's this mentality that people have that we don't want to contribute. It's like, okay, fair enough, you might get the same amount of money, but over here you're actually contributing something to society. You're doing something for somebody else. You're contributing, you're helping. You know, ah, it's, I just want the money. You know? and if I get the money without contributing, wow, what sort of idiot would work to get the money when you can get the same money for doing nothing? You know? And it's a mentality thing. It's a flick of a switch in their head. And I think God doesn't want us to come to church. I don't think God intends any of his children to be consumers. You know, There's a certain amount we will consume. We will take things because we need things. We take. But there's also got to be a point where we go, you know what, I need to start contributing something. I need to give back to God. I need to give back to the kingdom. God's doing a lot of things. You know, The kingdom of God is very broad. 
It's very broad. The gifts and talents and abilities and things that God has out there splashed upon us, it's very broad. Very broad. Way broader than most of us think. You know? That's why when somebody does something really radical and outside the square and it takes off, everyone's amazed. Oh, wow, you did what? Yeah, it wasn't hard. I just had an idea, realised I was good at this and liked it, so I thought, well, I could do this for myself or I could find out, God, how do I do this for the sake of the kingdom? How can I bring a bit of kingdom into this and build the kingdom of God while I'm doing this? You know? It's not a hard switch to flick, but, but when somebody does, it's monumental. You know? Yet I think that's the way that God wants us to be. He wants us to, to look at how can we contribute something to the building of the kingdom of God. I want to throw some thoughts at you this morning that came out of a talk that I went to. Sean Hart, who used to play AFL for the Brisbane Lions. Uh, I think he won the, what's the grand final medal when you... I think he won that brown. Yeah, I think he won that one year. And in 2001, two and three, I think it was the Brisbane Lions won the premiership back to back. They're considered one of the greatest AFL times uh, teams of modern history. Now I've shared these points with you before, probably in different contexts. But I've been thinking about them this week and thinking, you know what? My my, my brain keeps going back to it because personally, I feel like it's the most concise, simple piece of 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 management administrative advice that I've ever heard in my life. It's the best. I've read heaps of books on leadership and management and all kinds of things and done diplomas and, and worked in management. And, and everywhere I go, I always come back to these three really simple, dumbed-down points. And I thought, Lord, I wonder if, 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 I, if we were to look at those points, I wonder if I can find them in the Word of God. Is there, can it be that simple, really, God? Can there be some things that translate across? And I was amazed because as soon as I said that, these points popped into my head and these scriptures came straight away. I thought, wow, that's really... Really simple. So what I want to do here is, is me and Lee Matthews are going to preach together, tag team preaching at the moment. So Lee Matthews was the coach of this team, took a struggling um, uh, VFL team down in Victoria, Fitzroy, wasn't it? I think it was Fitzroy. And they weren't going so well, and so they joined with the Brisbane Bears, Fitzroy Lions, and they became the Brisbane Lions. And then within a couple, I think the first year, they made the top eight, and then they went on to, to win a consecutive, I think they made four premier grand finals in, in a row or something, won three of them. They, they had wonderful things. So I was at this sportsman's breakfast, and Sean Hart, who won the Brownlow one year, he was sharing, and we were able to ask questions. And Sean Hart's a Christian. And he was a Christian sportsman's breakfast in Brisbane. And somebody asked him the question, how did Lee Matthews do that? I mean, that's just phenomenal to take this team from where they were and to get them as they were. I mean, it can't just be that it's warmer in Brisbane than it was in Victoria. There's got to be more to the cl- than the climate, you know? And he said, well, Lee, Lee had a very simple strategy to everything that he did. He drummed three simple points into every one of his plays. And if you didn't get these points, then you just wouldn't be part of his team. And the three points were this, very simply. Number one was know your role. Number two was accept your role. And number three was perform your role. Know your role, accept your role, and perform your role. And with these three simple mentalities that he got his players to buy into, he created this team that is still considered one of the greatest AFL teams of all time. Know your role, accept your role, perform your role. I wonder if the Bible has anything along those lines for us to have a look at this morning. First one, he says, know your role. Let me rephrase it and put it this way. Everyone has a gift. Let's imagine we're a sporting team here, right? And we're all wanting that trophy at the end. We want to go somewhere together. We want to achieve something as a team. Everyone has a gift. First Peter 4 verse 10 says this. <laughs> it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. God has given each of you. Hands up if you're an each of you. 
I didn't sneeze, I'm asking a question. Hands up if there's a each of you. Who's an each of you? Put your hand up nice and high. Nice and high. Karina's not. Uh, I just want to know where, where I've got to go from here. Okay, so we've got a room full, brimming, overflowing with each of you. Well, let me give you some wonderful news right now. Look at this. God has given you a gift. You have a gift. It's not just that you're good at something. It's not just that you're passionate and you like something. It's not just that something comes natural to you. There's a lot of things in life that are like that. But this passage is telling us that God's given you, there's something in you that's more than just something you're good at or passionate about, or like, or can do natural. There's a gift inside of you. There's a gift on the inside of you. That gift has come not from your DNA, not from genetics, you know? I mean, my kids are, are great sports people, and my wife always tells me she gets, they get that from her, you know? Um, I won't argue with that. Just come watch me play. But... Um, there are certain things that we genetically get passed down to us that we're good at or whatever and we, we think a certain way. And so, but that's not talking about that. He's saying there's something specific to you that God, when he fashioned you and put you together in your mother's womb, he said, I've got something that I want to place in there as well. I'm going to hide something in there. For some of us, it's kind of hidden. But he says, I'm going to put something inside of you and it's there from God. And I believe with all my heart, every human being has a deposit, a gift inside of them that's there from God. Amen? You have a gift. You have something on the inside of you that God has given to you. Use that gift well to serve one another. Use that gift well to serve one another. The gift isn't in there just for you. It's for others. God's put something on your life that you have to contribute. Now, a lot of us spend our whole life consuming our gift, don't we? You know, people consume, consume. I'm good at this and I use this to get attention. I'll use this to get accolades. Or I'll use this just to get money. I'll use this to get, get, get. Yet God says, flip it around a little bit. I've given you a gift. Use it to serve. I was watching a, a, a show the other day with uh, Michael and Christy. Actually, he's a guy called um, Michael Jr. He's a Christian comedian guy. And he, talks about, he talked about this pivotal moment in his career as a comedian. He's a stand-up comedian and well-known and r- rides with the best of them in, 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 in America. And, uh, but they like him because he said, they like me because I'm clean and I'm funny. Which I thought, wow, what an idea, huh? He's clean and funny. So, so these comedians are going, wow, we really like you because you're clean and funny. Because we're not clean. <laughs> the only way we get laughs is by being brash. But you're clean and funny. But he talks about this moment he had where he, he, he went into do a concert one night and he said something happened in my head instead of going there he said as comedians we go to get laughs our job is to get laughs out of a crowd he said as I walked up on stage he said I suddenly had this thought don't go up there tonight and try to get laughs from people try to provide an opportunity for people to laugh just that simple little flick of a switch in his head he said instead of standing up there for the first time instead of standing up there under pressure going I've got to get something out of you He said, no, no, I've got something I can give you. I can create a space where joy can bubble up on the inside of you and you can laugh. And that tiny little change of mentality. And he said, from that point on, every town he goes to now, he said, I'll do my big gigs at night and corporate gigs and comedy clubs. But he said, during the day, we go to homeless shelters. Because he said, you know, I want to go in there and use my gift to, to give these homeless people an opportunity for joy to bubble up and for them to laugh. He said the night that happened, it changed the whole atmosphere of the show. He said he walked outside and was signing autographs out the front and he saw a homeless person across the road. And he said, you know what, that homeless person was probably there every single night, but because all I cared about was what I could get, I never noticed anyone that couldn't give me something. 
All of a sudden, he said he changed his mentality, and that's when he started going into homeless shelters and, 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 and abused children's homes and things like that. God has given you a gift. There's a gift inside of your life. I was reading a book by a guy called Mark Connor. He's a pastor in, in, down south in um, Adelaide, I think it is. And he says this. He says, God wants to make use of your time, resources, and talents for the expansion of his kingdom here on earth. And I believe that. I believe that God wants to use your gifts. God wants to use your talents, your time, your resources. He doesn't want to take them all away from you. He's not here, he's not here demanding that you give him everything. But he's extending an opportunity to us and saying, hey, I want, to, I want you to start to think about what, what, what have you got? What gift is in you that I've given to you? For, and I've given it to you for a specific purpose so that that thing can be used to serve other people and to help invest into and to build the kingdom of God. You've got a gift. Every person here in this room right now, Joe, you've got a gift on your life. It's something inside you that God put there. It's very special. And one day, God's going to use it. And you're going to go, oh, didn't see that coming. But there's a gift in your life, mate. And God's going to bring that stuff out and he's going to do something wonderful. Every one of us have a gift. It's a little bit like Lee Matthews saying to his team, know your role. Know your role. What are you here for? Some of you have been contracted to play out wide. Some of you are contracted to play in the middle. Some of you are contracted as defenders. Some of you are contracted as attackers. Some of you are contracted to leap high and catch the ball. We're all on the field. We're all in different positions. What position are you in? What have you been called for? What's your gift? Because each one of you have a gift on your life. With you young people, the sooner you identify that and the sooner you start to connect with that, man, I think it's powerful things that you can do when you've got your energy and youth and, and time on your side and so on. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, first thing, know your role. Know your role. The second thing that he says to them is this. He says, accept your role. So Lee Matthews says, accept your role. I want to put it this way. God puts gifts where he wants them. God puts gifts where he wants them. Okay? Uh, if you want to put that scripture out, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says, But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. Just where he wants it. You know, I believe that means that, that, that the church is set up in such a way that God himself is calling people to different congregations and so on to contribute to the mission and vision there and to work with those people and those different gifts. But I also believe it means that the gifts that God's placed in you, he put it there. It was his choice. And he chose for you to be that way. You know, how many people sit back and wish they were somebody else? We never really embrace what's on our life because we're too busy looking at this other person going, I wish I had their gift. I wish I was like them. Imagine being on a sporting field and being employed to be a, 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 a defensive person in an AFL team where you're 200 metres away from the post. You're never going to kick a goal because you're not called to kick a goal. It's just not going to... You are never going to open the paper the next morning and see, like, Buddy Franklin, you know, 50 goals or whatever it is. You're never going to see... Your name is never, ever going to be in the paper. Why? Because you're not called to that position on the field. You're called to another position. Imagine those guys going, well, I'm not going to play. I want to be him. I'm only going to sign for you if you let me... Well, we've got that position up there. You know, that's filled. There's somebody doing that. I want to do that. You know, why do you want to spend your whole life trying to do that when you are uniquely gifted to be incredibly successful doing this? Why do people fight to be somebody else or fight for another gift or another position on the team when God, in his wisdom, has placed stuff in you and placed you in a place because he knows what's going on. He knows how to get the maximum out of you. 
He knows where you're going to thrive and prosper, but he also knows what you're going to thrive and prosper doing. And we think we know more than God and we kick and bark and scream and fast and, 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 and feel like because I'm not that person, I don't have much to offer or because I'm not that person, you know? And we never embrace fully what God has given to us. Let me say this to you. Not all gifts are prominent, but all gifts are significant. Okay? If you're taking notes, write it down. Not all gifts are prominent, but every gift is significant. You see, a lot of us think, a lot of us think that to be significant, you have to be prominent. You know? Well, I don't get to preach every Sunday. I'm not up the front. I don't get to play keyboards or sing lead worship or, you know? As if the only gifts that really matter is preaching, leading worship or, you know? As if that's really the be-all and the end-all in the kingdom of God. You'd be amazed at the conversations I have with people. I feel like if they can't get a position of prominence or that, you know, that, 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 that it's not significant. Yet God has set things up the way that he has for a purpose and for a reason. Not every gift is prominent. It's just the reality. Buddy Franklin gets his name in the paper every day. The guy that saved 50 goals barely gets a mention. But I'll tell you what, he's worth more than gold. To people who know the game, to coaches who know what that position takes, they'll, they'll throw a million bucks at that guy. You know? Because he's doing what he can. He knows it's not the most prominent position on the field, but he does it anyway. He uses the gift that he has and brings it to the team and offers it to the coach and goes, what can we do? Let's do something with this. Not all gifts are prominent, but all gifts are significant. Here's the thing. God's really not that concerned with giving you prominence. We need to accept that. God's not concerned with giving us prominence. But what he's trying to do is give our life significance. That's what he wants. He wants us to feel that our lives are significant. It's our mentalities that stop that half the time because we're looking for something else, screaming for something else, clawing at something else. When God's going, you know what? There's a gift in you and that gift is incredibly significant and you will be incredibly significant using that gift for the good of others. Stop fighting me. Stop fighting me on this. Stop trying to look for other things and so on. Not all gifts are prominent, but all gifts are incredibly significant. I wonder in this room, when God looks down on us, I wonder what he sees. I wonder what he sees when he looks down, you know? I wonder if he looks down and he sees songwriters, people that are going to write great songs. I wonder if he looks down and he sees incredible tradespeople that are going to bring glory to him through their, what they can do with their hands and what they can put together and so on. I wonder if he looks down and he sees preachers in this room right now. I wonder if he looks down and, and he sees politicians, people here that could be bringing the kingdom of God into governance. I wonder if he looks down, you know, if he sees psychologists, people that are going to be able to get involved in that art and bring the kingdom into that. I wonder if he looks down and he sees business people and goes, man, you're going to be able to do incredible things through the gift of business on your life. I wonder what God sees when he looks down. I wonder if he looks down and he sees people embracing what he's put on their life. Whether he looks down and it's like a children's playground where everybody's fighting, all the kids are fighting because I want that toy. No, I want that toy. That's a better toy than my... And just dropping the toy down in front of them that... It's right there in the moment for them to play with and so on. I wonder what God sees when he looks down from heaven. I hope when he looks down, he doesn't see a whole bunch of kids fighting. I hope when he looks down, he sees people that are open and people that are humble enough to go, God, this is who I am. This is what you placed on my life. I want to give that back to you, God. I want to be used. I want my life to be significant. I don't care if it's not prominent. I don't care if nobody ever knows my name, but I want to feel like I'm significantly contributing something to God and God goes, that's the kind of person I'm looking for. Third thing he says to them is perform your role. Now, if I want to put that into biblical terms, I would say this. 
Do your special work. Do your special work. Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Who makes the body fit together perfectly? God does. You don't. I don't. God. God has a, has a way of doing this. He fits his body together perfectly. As each part does what? Its own special work. Who's in each part? Hand off if you're in each part. Yep. So everyone should be in each other. Everyone should be in each part. I'm in each other. I'm in each part. When you go home today, I want you to remind yourself, I'm in each other, I'm in each part. Okay? You're in each other and in each part. When each part does its own special work. You see, this is what the apostles were saying in that situation back there when they said there's a food distribution program here. They're going, each of us have got to do our own special work. Our special work as apostles was to, 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 to teach, to preach, to pray, to get into the word of God, to extend it. We can't be over here doing this because that's not our special work. That's someone else's special work. But it's a special work and it needs to be done. And when it's done properly by the right people who see it as a special work and view it as a part of the kingdom building, when those people are doing this, guess what happens? The church of God multiplies greatly, the Bible says. Every time in the book of Acts that you see a major situation where it could disrupt the flow of the kingdom, you see it later on when there's false teachers going around saying to the Greek believers, you've got to be circumcised. And what did the church leaders do? They got together, they said, right, we've got to address this issue. If we don't address this issue properly, you know what's going to happen? No non-Jewish boy is going to get saved because the price is too high. And all of a sudden, Christianity stops with the Jews because they don't want to get circumcised. So the disciples have to deal with that and in the process of dealing with that, they go back and they say, look, here's the deal. We've got together. We've decided that uh, that's not a case. We can't see that that's biblical. We don't think God wants that. So they deal with the situation correctly. And what happens is from there on in, the Bible again says that the word of God continued to grow and multiply and people got saved. Every time they got to that crossroads, that point where the kingdom of God, the advancement of God's kingdom could have been derailed, they dealt with the situation right. Then the kingdom would expand. In other words, the kingdom of God is a movement. The church has never been attenders. The church has never been members. The church in the book of Acts was a movement. It was a movement. It wasn't a stagnant, a bunch of stagnant pools getting together on a Sunday morning, sitting in a building, singing a couple of songs, listening to some teaching. They were a movement of people continuously expanding and growing together. How did they do that? Well, every part, every member had its own special work and each part actually did something. They did it. That's why there's no room for people to just sit there and be consumers in the kingdom because you've got a part to play. And look what happens when you do. It says as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. When you're not doing something with the gift on your life, you're hurting me. You're hurting me. Because we're one body. We're one body. Anyone um, grow up in the era when your grandparents used to have those funny signs on the back of the toilet door? Anyone like that? My grandparents always had these funny posters in the toilet. Yeah? And there was one about the body. You remember that? All the parts, all the organs of the body decided to have an argument one day about who was the best. And the eyes said, well, I'm the best because if you didn't have me, you wouldn't see where you were going. The legs said, pfft, bah humbug. If you didn't have me, you wouldn't get to where you can see you could go. And the hands went, pfft. What if it was dark? You'd be falling over things. You would have nothing to reach out and touch things with. And if you did see something you wanted, you couldn't pick it up without me. And so the argument went back and forth and all the organs and body parts got involved in it. 
And then the bottom said, you know what, I'm the most important part. And all the other body parts laughed and went, ha ha, bless, look at you, seriously. No way, and they had a real field day. The bottom said, I'll show them. A couple of days later, the eyes started watering. All of a sudden, the legs wouldn't take the body where it needed to go. The hands couldn't lift up. Eventually, they succumbed and they said, okay, we're sorry, you are the most important part of the body. The point is this, those parts that don't seem to have the most prominence have an incredible significance. We can't do without those parts of the body. Okay? Those parts of the body contribute something positive. And if we're not all functioning and flowing in what God has for us, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, we are all worse off for it. We're all worse off for it. Do you get it? Acknowledging you have a gift upon your life. right? Accepting the gift upon your life and making a decision, I'm going to start to use that gift for the betterment of the kingdom of God. To do those things is to help produce growth in the body of Christ. Not just growth. See, growth in the body is twofold. Number one, we grow as a body together, healthy, because we're all functioning. We're all coming together as contributors. We're all coming together with a mentality and a mindset about let's expand the kingdom. We're all coming together going, how can we take this great God that we have and what can we do out there to show these people together that he's real, that he loves them, that they're special? What can we do? Instead of coming in going, well, I just want to come here and hear a couple of songs. Message better be on, on the money or, you know, I won't be listening to that one on iTunes. I won't be recommending that to a friend. Now I'm going to go home and get on with the rest of my six and a half days of the week and I'll come back on Sunday and I'll do it again. Please. That is not what Christ called us to. That is not the life that God has called us to. You know, my uncle, I've got an uncle, his name's Bill. I'm I'll, I'll getting ready to finish up. Uncle Bill. Uh, several years ago, we went on holidays one year. It was Christmas time. This is when I was a little kid. I remember it so vividly. And everybody handed out the presents and so on. And Uncle Bill, I remember when he left, because he was about 12 hours away where we were, and he got these Christmas gifts and he put them in the boot of the car and he closed the lid of the car and drove off. Right? Now, the gifts hadn't been opened. I mean, who, that's ludicrous. Who on Christmas, the minute you get that gift, it's, oh, paper's torn off, you just want to see what the present is. He didn't. He got the gift, just chucked it in the boot of the car and drove off. 12 months later... I was with Uncle Bill, and I remember it. I was standing at the back of his car, and he popped the boot, because he had a yellow, um, a, a little yellow Tirana. He called it the yellow canary. Bright yellow, disgusting colour. Spotto. But he, um, he's popped the thing and popped the boot, and the boot opened up, and I remember as a kid standing there being absolutely gobsmacked. You know why? Because the presents were still sitting in the boot, still unopened, 12 months later. I wonder how many people in the church of Jesus Christ are like that. You've got gifts. You've got things that God's placed on your life that he wants to use, that he's given to you. So gift's not really a gift until you give it away. And how many of you have got gifts waiting to be given out for the expansion of the kingdom of God? Let me, let me tell you something just up front about mine and, and, and Jackie's role here in the church and, and our leadership team. We're steering a ship. And we're making sure that that ship goes in a direction. And that is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is making disciples. Not going to get sidetracked from that vision. But you ever seen these cruise ships? They're going to a certain place, but there are so many things you can do on a cruise ship while you're going there. We've got one vision, reach the world for Jesus. There are a billion ways 
that we can do that. And we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the ways. We've just got a call from God to make sure we're steering the ship in the right direction. You know what I believe? I believe that God brings people with gifts, talents, abilities, perspectives, mindsets, and he brings them into the church. See, we're about to step into a building. The building's just a piece of concrete and brick. It's a building, you know? I feel like God's saying, you need to start to think about now, what are you going to do when you get in there? What are you actually going to do to impact the community? I've given you this incredible gift. What are you going to do when you get there? No point waiting until we get there. What are we going to do when we get there? What are we going to do? Well, it's going to be governed largely by the gifts, the talents, the abilities that are here in the body that God pulls together that's called Arise Church. See, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. No one can do everything, but every one of us can do something. Now, there is opportunity being presented to us from God. But how many of you know opportunity without availability is pointless? you the opportunity. Will you give him the availability? That's your decision. We're going to get up there and we have opportunity to impact the community for Jesus. But are you going to avail yourself, your time, your resource, your gifts, your talents, your ideas? You've got ideas about what we could do there? Let us know. We're happy to sit down with you. Ask the questions. Wrestle through the road humps, the different things with you. Make sure that we've got commitments and resource. We'll back you. Because we're not here saying we've got all the answers and we're the two that are going to reach this community. For whatever reason, God's just given us this position to steer the ship and make sure that whatever we do do, it's got to be able to be connected to that great commission. It's got to be stuff that we follow through with. It's got to be stuff that we're committed to. Don't come to us with ideas and go, oh, this is a great idea, you do it. No, no. I know what my gifts, my talents, abilities are. I'm taking my resource and doing what I can. You know? I've been in churches like that. My last church, everybody, everyone told us how we were going to reach the community. You sit down and listen, that was fantastic, excellent. So what are you going to do about it? Oh, it's your job. That's no, not. We've all got something to bring to the table. You know? We've all got something to contribute. You've got gifts, talents, ideas outside of the box that's my head. What are they? Are you prepared to avail yourself to God? Are you prepared to, to, to do what it takes to bring that gift to the surface. Allow God to take that gift. You might feel like your gift is insignificant. It's not. You might look at your gift and go, I don't know how I could connect that passion, that gift with the, with, with, with the Great Commission. Come talk to us. Be happy to give you some ideas and work with you and think, how can we do this? What can we do? What can we, where can we go with this? We're on a journey, people, and the introduction is about to be closed and the story is about to start. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about where this story is going to take us. I'm looking forward to, in 20 years' time, looking back and going, you know what, when we were in the GSAC, and I remember a couple of weeks before we got the piece of paper, and I remember we talked about this stuff, and I remember the numbers we had and the people that were there, and I, I, can you even believe, Bevan, that you were sitting there that day, and look what you're doing now for the Can you even believe that that took place? Tiffany, can you even believe that you were sitting there and, and, and this is, you know, you just had a, another baby and, and, you, and you and Tim were sitting in church and who would have thought that, that looking back that then now you would be exactly here now, you would be doing what you're doing and expanding the kingdom. Who would have thought? You know, I look forward to that day. Amen? You excited about that? I'm excited about the story that God is writing. Let's all stand up.
Every one of you have a gift. Every one of you have the gift that God decided to place on your life. Don't fight it. Be bold enough and humble enough to accept you have something to offer. Be humble enough to accept that which he gave to you. Make the decision before God. Whether you can see how the two connect or not, make the decision that you are going to allow God to show you how that connects and how you can play your part, your role, in seeing us reach this community with the love and grace of Jesus. Father, I want to thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that, uh, uh, Father, you again, you are extending this continuous invitation to us to jump on board with what you're doing, to bring our gifts, our talents, our resource, our time, God, our passions, our energy, to bring a bit of that to your table. And God, if each of us just bring a little bit, Lord, it's like morning tea, you know, you go to a big function, everybody brings a cake or something, and then you look at that table and you've got a hundred cakes. It's just phenomenal, the amount of food that comes when everybody brings just a little bit to a, a dinner party or something like that. And Lord, I feel like that's what the kingdom is like. We all just bring that little bit, and as we all bring a little bit together, that little bit turns into a massive banquet. And Father, I just pray uh, in these coming weeks and coming months, God, as we're about to step into this place and begin the practical work of it, that, Lord, you would be speaking to our hearts. You would be revealing to us our gifts. You'd be showing us that stuff that you have deposited inside of each of us that's not given for us to consume, but has been given to us specifically to contribute to the broader body and to the world around us, Father. Speak to us, God. Open our eyes. Help us see some of these things, Lord. Father, I pray for this week, God, that you would uh, be upon each of our lives. God, you would bless us. You'd keep us safe. God, I pray in the next seven days that each one of us would have an opportunity to show the love of God to somebody that does not yet know you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Take the love of God. Shake it up like a chocolate milk. Take the top off. Let it bubble out and blow on everyone around you. Maybe subconsciously I'm thinking of chocolate. I don't know. Anyone got chocolate milk? (laughs) 